Hello, this is John DeJulius, author of The Relationship Economy, and you are listening to My Quest for the Best. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is John DeJulius. John is a consultant, keynote speaker, and best-selling author who runs three businesses. John Roberts Spa, a chain of upscale spas in Northeast Ohio, DeJulius Group, an international consulting firm, and Believe in Dreams, a nonprofit that helps fulfill wishes of children. He's here to talk about the ideas and impact of his latest book, The Relationship Economy. Listen in to hear how John describes how you can make customer service your single biggest competitive advantage by becoming the brand customers cannot live without, and it makes price irrelevant. Welcome, John. Thank you, Bill. It's awesome to be uh, on your show. I love the energy you're bringing. My, one of my favorite words, if not the favorite words, is energy, right? I mean, uh, Mel Robbins says, your energy introduces yourself along before you ever say a word. How about that? That's a great reminder. John, I find that people who are high performers always find it not only easy to acknowledge, but appreciate the chance to acknowledge others who have helped them along the way. So I'd like to start off by asking, when you were growing up, Who's someone who you think of who influenced and inspired you? I have a long list. You know, got to start with uh, my mom. And, you know, that may sound stereotypical, but she raised six kids all under the age of 20. I was the youngest when I was six um, and just did a remarkable job. Didn't realize we were at any disadvantage, you know, economically and all those things. And she just had this unbelievable energy that, uh, you know, never made excuses, never uh, complained, and just had this unbelievable uh, faith and belief in all our kids that just has, you know, taken us all to to great places. And and in my five older brothers and sisters, uh, you know, echoed that growing up. And as a result of your mom's strong faith and belief in all of you, and you in particular, John, how do you draw on that lesson, that encouragement, that role model that she shared with you back then? How does that come through today in a decision that you've made or a way that you treat people? I think it's just believing in people when it's not easy to, you know, when, when someone's failing, be it, a, a, you know, one of my kids, one of my, my employees, you know, I wasn't easy to believe in. It's drawing on my experiences growing up. I wasn't easy to believe in. I was ADD, LD, requested to repeat a lot of grades in school. Didn't, but was requested. And my mom, you know, always stuck it up for me. And, and, and she'd tell me I was going to do great things. And so whenever we're faced with that same situation, I, I always say and, and ask my leaders to do the same thing as when someone's failing. Let's look in the mirror first. Um, no one came here to fail. No one, you know, wants to, you know, be making mistakes. And, you know, did we give them all the support, encouragement, confidence that we could have? And and there's usually something we could have done better. And, uh, you know, when we do that, most of the time we get rewarded with kind of the same thing that no one's ever, you know, gone to bat for them. No one's ever given them 
second and third chances. So I told you I like words. Another favorite word of mine now is encourage. And I was just encourage is always just, I know what it means. And yeah, encourage is is great and want to do that. But it was uh, just looking at the word and, you know, split it up and encourage. And the Latin meaning is to put courage in uh, someone else. And I don't know why, but when I, I dissected it to that level, I was like, wow. I mean, that is our role as a leader, as a parent, is to put courage in other people. And I'm sure that has a lot of application that everyone listening can relate to. The fact that we can put courage into others. We can encourage them to stand strong, even when they're not being treated well by a customer, for instance, and still remain polite, still remain uh, respectful and helpful, because the end goal is to have a positive experience, even if someone's coming in stressful. So I think that's great to be able to think of it in that way and share the roots of encourage with others. Now, this isn't your first book, The Relationship Economy. What is it that inspired you to say this, all of these things that I've learned, all of these lists that we've put together, all of these processes need to be shared and putting it into a book form? What was the the point where you realized that The Relationship Economy needed to be a book, John? Uh, you know, we're in the midst of, you know, the digital age, the digital revolution, and I love technology. I mean, I'm, I, I love, and technology is not the enemy. Using it to eliminate the customer experience, the human interactions face-to-face is. And so just seeing how the pendulum is swinging so far over to high-tech, no touch, and seeing the ramifications the digital age is having on us personally and professionally. You know, today's illiterate are those who have an inability to truly make a deep connection with others. And, you know, when you, when you think about that, we can all point the finger and us older people like to, you know, diss on the millennials and all that. But, you know, a couple of things, you know, we're the ones who raised them, right? And we're judging them. And, and, and number two, you know, make no mistake about it, the lack of people skills that is happening in our society is the responsibility of business leaders to fix. And that's where it all comes. And that's where the best companies I have found are leading the relationship economy, you know, by by building, you know, the, the marrying digital and the human experience for the best outcome. John, we have to dig into that because that's a really bold statement. That's like a, a cry of a revolution. It's up to business leaders. It's the business, the responsibility of business leaders to fix the gaps in people skills that people are experiencing today. Where do you see that evident of the fix occurring where businesses have taken responsibility and saying, we really want our employees to have great communication skills and people skills because that's one of our values. It's something we really care about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so as as we probably all know, there is a, a rapid decline in people skills, and we're in the midst of the touchscreen age, and that's not a, a, a generational thing. We have little kids on iPads and, and and living on iPads, and we have grandparents all over social media. So across the board, you know, our people skills are eroding, and you know, lack of interactions is is. is is causing us to be relationshiply disadvantaged. And you know, they say a lack of social relationships is equivalent 
to smoking 15 cigarettes per day. And it's not an isolated problem just to millennials. Every generation is you know, a little weaker than the one previous. So our digital intelligence is up, but our emotional intelligence is down. Leaders are getting younger because of our reliance on you know, digital intelligence. Over 40% of employees today have a boss that's younger than them. So we have you know, younger leaders who didn't have the decades to formulate the relationship skills that you know, most of us had had. And, and, and you can't microwave emotional intelligence. So that brings us to, while there's no greater skill that can be taught or worked on than the ability to, to build an instant rapport with others, whether that be an acquaintance, customer, coworker, you know, friend, or, or total stranger. Um, that should be taught in every level of school, at home, and in business. Unfortunately, it's not. And, and so that's where it comes back to businesses have to focus on that if they want to be successful today. Because the easiest thing to copy today is technology. Innovation used to give us you know, 12 to 18 months to give a company a competitive advantage. Well, today, innovation is all technology. And I'm sure Bill and you and, 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 and your listeners have used the Uber app. And I'm sure they've used Lyft app. And when I make those apps black and white, you can't tell which one's which. And like I said, it's the easiest thing to copy. If you're a competitor of mine and you come out with, you know, some, some gadget, some tech that, you know, that's the easiest thing I can copy. So, you know, by itself, technology is not the differentiator. So we got to create, you know, three things that, that I find that the companies that are dominating the relationship economy are doing. They're using the technology to perform basic tasks, enabling their employees to focus on what's most important. Building relationships are a result in higher customer loyalty, retention, lifetime value, and job satisfaction. The second thing is build a culture internally that creates emotional connections with your employees, with each other. I mean, right now, we have the high, in, in, in history, we have the highest turnover businesses have ever had. And there's more jobs available than people looking. And too many businesses are throwing up their hands, too many leaders are throwing up their hands and saying, that's why we have more turnover. And I call BS to that. Great companies don't have high turnover, even in today's times. Chick-fil-A has the highest customer satisfaction of all, you know, anyone in their industry. They also have, they also don't pay any better than their competitors. And thirdly, they have the lowest turnover of their competitors. Same for American Express, same for all world-class businesses. And finally, the, the third piece to that strategy is to create relationship building training for new and existing employees because they just don't have it. And it can be taught, but if you don't teach it, it's gonna be transactions and, and, and it's gonna be cold transactions instead of warm interactions that build loyalty. So John, that's that's a lot to process with those three large pieces. So let's see if we could revisit them and break it down a little bit. So you talk about something that I think is well underway today, which is using technology to do basic tasks. Where do you draw the line? What kinds of questions do you use to evaluate the line as to where technology ought to have a role in taking over transactions or activities? And where should it stop 
because now it's starting to erode the fundamental relationships we have with each other. Yeah, I'm all for, you know, uh, technology that makes, you know, companies faster, freeing up the time that their, their agents on the phone, their advisors can focus on where the expertise really lives. So that could be chat box and frequently asked questions and scheduling appointments and all of those things. But, you know, where I said earlier that technology is not the enemy, using it to eliminate the human experience is. So there's a Fido, it's a, it's a wireless company in Canada, kind of like the Verizon Wireless. And they are forcing their customers to use their self-service kiosks to a point where if you don't and you call in and want to talk to someone, they charge $10 on your, your account, right? I mean, that's, wow. you know, same thing with Spirit Airlines. If you don't check in online and you check in at the airport with a kiosk, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fee that you have to pay. So, you know, that's where, I mean, there's still a large percentage of the, the, the uh, a significant percentage of the population that wants to speak to someone. And then for the ones that don't, when they get to a certain point that can't be rectified, they shouldn't be penalized when they need to, you know, uh, get help from a human being. So, so that's where it's too much and it's removing the face-to-face. -face. And, you know, I don't engage with apps. I'm not loyal to an app. Um, I'm loyal to a human being. And that's what makes price irrelevant. That's what makes a brand, you know, an organization I can't live without, not their technology. So let's get into that for a little bit. Let's talk about an example of a company that's really either you've identified or they've embraced these principles and been able to differentiate themselves as a company you can't live without. What's an example of a company like that that comes to mind? Uh, to me, Apple. Uh, to me, Starbucks. And I, you know, I, I love asking people, and, and I think your listeners should do this. It's a great exercise is say, hey, you know, to your audience, whoever your audience is, your, your, your employees, your leaders. But I always say, Bill, if I was able to look at where you spend your money personally, your credit card statements, your, you know, debit, you know, for your check register over the last 90 days, and tomorrow, after doing all the research on where you spend your money personally, I come to you and tell you, Bill, there is one brand you could never do business with again. Who would you lose sleep over tonight that I get, that I might take away from you? So in your case, Bill, what's the one that, that you you you'd be worried that I would uh, I, I would take away from you? Tree of several. Sure. I mean, Apple's one that I'm surrounded by Apple products, so that would be one where I'd say, well, let's not go there. <laughs> right, right. And the silly thing is, right? There's dozens, if not hundreds, of technology companies that have the same, you know product, laptop, cell phones, and, and, and in a lot of cases, just as good. And I'm like you, I, I'm looking at all my Apple gadgets right now, right? And Apple's such a great example because um, the other thing that, that they do, it, 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 I don't know if you were on the original iPhone, the iPhone 3, I think it, it, the original one was, but I love using this as an example. Apple, you know, iPhone was cool. And then Samsung came out with it, you know, and, and uh, the Droid and all those phones and they seem to be to be great but around somewhere around the iphone 5 apple fell behind and they there was you know the competition had bigger screens and bigger things and i don't know how long it was 18 months or 24 months and i had cell phone envy 
right? And I used to see people at, you know, bars and, and, and airports with, you know, a, a, a technology that I didn't have. It drove me crazy. But you know what I never did? I never switched because I knew Apple would catch up. And think about that. Think about if you and your business or me and my business or anyone listening, if we didn't stay, you know, top in our product and services, we'd get crushed. But that's a business you can't live without. You're like, no, no, I trust Apple. They may be behind, but the, and they did catch up. But that's the thing, right? So, so we always find, and so whenever we do these exercises, we say to everyone, you know, why, why Apple? Why, you know, Starbucks? Why, you know, why, whatever, you know, Amazon? The, the answers are always the same. I'll tell you what answers we don't get is because they're the cheapest and because their product is better than anyone else's. We don't get those two answers. It's because the emotional connection they make, they remember me, they customize it for me and, you know, all those things. And, and that's the key, key thing. It, it's never about price. You know, usually the ones that we can't live without, you know, you can go thousands of places and get a cheaper cup of coffee. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of crazy fanatics out there that will only go to Starbucks. And, and one of the reasons is there's over 120,000 ways Starbucks makes, you know, a cup of coffee. And, you know, I have my unique way, right. That's totally mm -hmm. different from yours and anyone else's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, and, and that's my way. And I like that, you know, so yeah, th th those are being brands you can't live without. So we got to look at what those are and, and how we apply it to our business to replicate it. So a new employee comes into one of your businesses, say they come into the salon business. What are some of the things that you teach in your customer, maybe two or three ideas you teach in your customer service training that is unique, that they wouldn't get anywhere else because it helps them understand the kind of relationship you want to have with your customers when they're part of the John Roberts Spa. Yeah, and so the first thing that everyone has to walk away from, most important, is how good any company is at customer service, any department, it comes down to their, their average level of service aptitude. From the CEO, to the mechanic, warehouse, janitor, to the newest employee that's starting next week. And service aptitude is not innate, it's not something we're born with. And think of every customer facing new employee, you know, between the ages of 19 and 25. They don't have high service aptitude. They didn't, you know, you and I didn't grow up flying first class, staying at five star resorts, getting a Mercedes Benz when we turned 16. Yet we are expected, or we were, and, and we expect our employees to give that type of experience to those types of clients, guests, patients, tenants, whatever we may call them. It's not fair. So understand that no one comes to work with high service aptitude. It is, it is not the employee's responsibility of high service aptitude. It's the company's to train it to them. And, and that's the soft skills. And most companies train on the technical skills. Yes. So do you look for people particularly who are dealing with customers in the spa business who've had experience in other related industries, or would you say it's more important to have experience in high focus on customer service businesses? So you take someone who had experience maybe at the front desk of a Ritz-Carlton over someone who had three times as much experience, maybe they have six years experience working at another spa because then you'd have to unteach them. <laughs> 
all of the bad habits that they'd learned. Correct. So obviously, Ritz Carlton, Chick Fil A, Nordstroms. You're always going to rise to the top top of the application list, right? We don't look for industry experience because we don't want we want to think totally like a different organization. We we don't want anyone with industry experience. Very rarely um, do we want anyone with industry experience. We don't expect our it's a bonus, but we don't expect employees to come with high service aptitude, right? We want to train them what that is, what that looks like, you know, how you build a rapport, how you make a brilliant comeback when we drop the ball, how you show compassion and empathy. And that is all part of our training, you know, and building instant rapport, you know, that that is huge. The art of, of building relationship has five keys to it. Okay. And I believe four of the five can absolutely be trained. And, and, and the one, you know, and you'll know which one, it, 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 we can't. We, we obviously look for that in the hiring. So the first one is must be authentic, right? The second one is have insatiable curiosity. The third key to the art of building relationships is, is have incredible empathy. The fourth one, must love people. And the fifth one, must be a great listener. Of those Five, I truly believe number four, must love people, is the only one the greatest training can't help. So that's something that we, we definitely want to find in the hiring process. Now, any of those other four, authenticity, curiosity, empathy, if, if someone has it, great. But we can definitely move the dial on most people. Our training can do that. So, Judd, I just have to ask a question here. How do you find that out in an interview? Because I imagine most people would think, well, everyone would say yes, because they know that's the answer that's being looked for in an interview. If you're asked directly, do you love people? How have you found indirectly ways to identify whether that's something that's present to them so that it makes it a better fit? Because it's a waste of time if it doesn't work for them or for you, they wouldn't be happy. And if they're not happy, they're not doing a great job. What are some ways that you've found in order to get a better read on that than through direct questioning? So, so that's a great question. And, and you have to make your interview process ungameable, right? We, everyone knows that when you go to an interview, one of the questions you're going to get is, Bill, please tell me what your two drawbacks are. Right? You know you're going to get that. And you're going to come out with, I'm a workaholic and a perfectionist, right? Bam, I nailed that. Right. And and so we have, you know, uh, you know, interview parts of our interview process that just kind of take you down rabbit holes. They seem like you're taking you down. Oh, Bill, you're from you live in Philly. You know, man, those Eagle fans are crazy, but they just get you off, and, you know, and, and you don't realize. But we're finding out if, if if you're a happy person, if you like people or if you're always a victim. And, you know, you know, your last job was a, you know, a jerk and, and all those, you know, boss mm -hmm. was a jerk. But there's, there's several good techniques. So one that I love, the CEO of Charles Schwab, Walter Bettinger III, when it's a key candidate, probably executive level, he takes them, that person, to, uh, for a, a meeting, uh, interview, if you will, to a, a diner that they use all the time for breakfast, coffee. And they purposely have the diner screw up on the candidate's order. 
just, you know, repeatedly, you know, you order coffee, you get tea, you order, you know, uh, egg sunny side up, you get scrambled, right? You know, you want ketchup, they, they don't bring you ketchup, you know? And just to see how that person handles stressful situations. There's another great technique that we've learned that, that we have on our first interviews uh, that we've learned from great companies like the Ritz Carlton's and, and whatnot, is we have group interviews, our first interview. So instead of spending six hours on six people, we'll spend one hour with six people and we'll go around the room and say, tell us a time where you went above and beyond for a customer. And so what the candidates are thinking is whoever has the best answer is gonna you know, score the most points. And that's the opposite. We're paying attention to what Bill's doing when the other five candidates are speaking. Is he peeking at his Apple watch? Is he totally checked out, but he lights up when it's his turn, right? Or is Bill nodding, smiling, laughing at what the other candidate said, making them feel you know, really comfortable? Because that's what we're looking for. And then the last example I'll share with you, we count the five E's. We call it five E's. We call this the engagement indicator on the interview. So what you have to do in business, if, if you're working for us, is, is you have to do the five E's anytime you come in contact with a, a customer, be it for three seconds, 30 minutes. And the five E's are eye contact, enthusiastic, greet, ear to ear, smile, engage, and educate. Eye contact, enthusiastic, greet, ear to ear, smile. That takes one second, right? Engage and educate. So we keep track of that on the interview process to see how often someone makes eye contact with us, right? You know, how often they smile. Now, I, I can't stress this enough. I almost don't like giving this example for an interview process because the, you cannot expect the candidate to be doing these things if the interviewer isn't doing those things, right? So true, so if you true. Have confidence that, you know, the person doing the interview is doing those five E's and you can't get the candidate to, to, to replicate it, right? And they don't know. They have no idea that you're counting for every 10, 15 minutes we meet with them. We count how many times they make eye contact. We ask, you know, what, what, you know, what are some of your passions? And then we start, well, you're, Bill, you're a runner. Tell me about running because I hate running. Bill doesn't get excited and passionate about Running, which he said, you know, is his, is his primary recreational thing. He's not going to get excited about anything. But like, like, like you agree, the, the interviewer has to be, uh, you know, possessing those, those five E's throughout the interview. And what you've done is something that I want everyone listening to understand. You can't get better answers unless you do two things. You have to ask better questions and you have to be a better interviewer you've got to bring a better person to the interview. And by being a better person, you mean someone who actually follows these, not because they're modeling it, but they're creating an environment that really supports that type of high energy, high engagement, and high empathy that you're looking to welcome into your culture. Would you agree? Oh, well, a thousand percent. I was shutting up because you were nailing. You were, I mean, you know this as well as I do. So another thing that you do is you take some of the ambiguity out when people are working for you, as you talk, as you point out in the book, because you don't say these are recommendations. You have never and always lists. <laughs> talk about how you came up with that. 
Yes, we create uh, certain nevers and always that we would never do or always do if the opportunity presented itself. Never point, okay? Always show them. Now, most people listening are thinking, all right, you're, you're talking about a restaurant, you know, spa, you know, anything brick and mortar. No, I'm talking about, you know, over the phone via email, right? Bill calls and we have a podcast set up and, and Lindsay's dealing with him and, and Bill says, hey, you know, can I get John's bio? And Lindsay says, yeah, you can get that off our website. That's pointing, right? Why, why are we making, you know, our customers do the work? Yeah, absolutely. Let me send you the attachment. Let me send you a link. That's pointing. Never say no. Can't say no in any of my companies. The always doesn't mean you say yes. A lot of the things we can't say yes to, the always is, you know, let's work on what we can do, right? It's never a no, but while it might not be able to happen today, here's what we can do. Never say no problem. No problem is, is a double negative and, it, you know, no problem means it's not inconvenient for me to do that for you. And we're serving others. It's not about my convenience. It's about yours. So always say certainly my pleasure. Absolutely. You know, I'd be happy to. So we have dozens and dozens of nevers and always, but we only recommend companies to roll out, you know, eight to 10 and, and make sure, you know, that they roll those out. And I imagine that the lists would be customized based upon the level of responsibility that somebody has within the company and what type of interactions they would typically have. There are some on the list that become more important than others. Is that right? Yeah, but remember that they go towards internal as well, right? I can't, you know, point if marketing calls me and asks me for something. I can't do that to the UPS man or FedEx man that's walking in and asking, you know, where the shipping dock is, right? It, it applies to any human interaction, not just the external customer. Oh, I get that. I, I mean, sometimes I know that from being within companies and working uh, with them as consultant or just walking into Lowe's like I did the other day and someone who says, I went in for a power washer and one person said, oh, it's all the way down to the garden area and look in aisle 22, it should be on your left. And I did that and I walked away feeling, well, that person's well-trained and knowledgeable about his stock area. And then when I got there, I found what I needed. I realized I needed something else, asked another associate, and she said, here, let me show you. And it's like, oh, that's great. Not only does she know, she's making me feel more important by walking me there, pointing to it and asking, is this what you wanted? Absolutely, that's awesome. So one other thing I wanted to ask you about before we get to the lightning round. John, what are energy givers and energy suckers? So we all have friends, uh, family, and employees that you know are energy givers. And there's two types of leaders, right? Energy givers and energy suckers. Energy suckers are vampires. You know, there are people that I limit my time to to be around because uh, you know you will, the energy givers. You know, they raise the confidence of everyone they come in contact with. They're constantly showing gratitude and thanks. Give everyone else the credit. They believe in others, right? There's that, that common theme we've been talking about since we started. Um, they're there for others when they struggle or going through hard times. They're, they're the employees, children's, friends, biggest cheerleaders. They find out what's important to other people, their goals, and help them achieve it. They're great listeners. You know, they'll go through, uh, they'll walk through a fire for those on their team, and they practice what they preach, and are these behaviors that could be taught or is somebody just this way or they're not this way? 
I believe everything can be taught. I was not a, an energy, you know, so, so, so my personal example is I have a, a carpe memento statement that carpe memento stands for seize the moment. And it, it's what I want to bring to every interaction I have, right? You know, be it dropping my kids off at school to, you know, walking by someone at the office to picking up a, my latte at Starbucks, strangers, anyone. And so five years ago, when I created my, my Carpe Memento statement. It was to, you know, create an energizing moment, right? That was it. And I had it on my phone and I have it on my mirror in, in, in my bathroom and everywhere, my visor and my car, create an energizing moment. And that was almost too easy because, you know, as you said, you know, and thanks for saying it, I have no problem bringing energy to every moment, okay? So that was easy, but here's the problem. My energy always wasn't positive. I could snap at my youngest son because on our way to school, he realized he forgot his book bag. And now I got to take him back. And now that's going to throw me off in, you know, being late for, you know, my first appointment, right? I could, you know, walk in and, and, you know, walk, you know, through, you know, our corporate office and, and have to get to a, a call that I, I, I'm, I'm almost late on and not realizing I didn't make eye contact, do the five E's with anymore. I can come up to someone that works for me and say, Bill, where's that report? Right. You know, I could do all those things. And I was guilty of doing those, you know, too often. And so I had to change it to create a positive energizing moment. So I would be more intentional about, because like I said, low hanging fruit for me was bringing energy. The harder part is making what, you know, what kind of energy I'm bringing. Well, that's a great personal insight. And one that I think that everyone listening to will reflect on and say, am I bringing the energy? And is it the kind of energy that's appropriate in this situation? Because sometimes the energy you bring could cause people to withdraw and become less engaged when that's not your intent. Absolutely. John, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Let's go. All right. So bring that positive energy. And tell me, when you start your day, what are one or two things that you do to help get you into a positive mindset ready for success? The first thing is I have a, a uh, pop-up on my phone that goes off at 6 a.m., a, a message, if you will, every morning at 6 a.m. that says, act as if today is the day you'll be remembered for how you treat others. Act as if today is the day you'll be remembered for how you treat others. So try to do that consciously, which brings us back to that positive, energizing moment. You know, and then just, you know, my morning routines are, is really important to me, whether I'm traveling in a hotel at home, just start off with a little me time before I, I, I get into technology and anything else, just, you know, just where I want to be intentional for today, you know, go get the good sweat on and then, you know, uh, take a shower and then I'm ready. I'm ready to take on the day. But I think the first place we all have to work on building a relationship is with ourselves. And and I think there's certain things we need to do first thing in a day and the last thing before you go to bed to make sure we're building a relationship with ourselves and, and not letting the technology devices and everything else be the first and last thing we encounter. Well said and very important. When you think about life 
professionally or personally in the last six months, what's the easiest or least expensive change you've made that's had the biggest payoff? Mm-hmm. Great question. I just think it's being intentional. I know, you know, I think it's, it's working, you know, things like that, you know, having a a pop up and then talking about how I can do that. Whose day can I make today? How many people did that had a better day as a result of coming in contact with me? Is that something you just started six months ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Those specific things. I'm not act, not that little thing is act as if today's the day. That's probably been on my phone for 18 months or so. But other things, the encourage is brand new. You know, to put courage in. You know, to to be intentional, to reflect at the end of the day, how many people had a better day as a result of coming in contact with me. I think those things uh, really help. I, I will tell you something else. I, I've started doing going back with the, um, you know, build a relationship with yourself. I I love listening to, you know, podcasts and ESPN and all these things when I go for a run or a workout. But what I've tried to do multiple days per week. So if I work out six days a week, I will try to, you know, two or three, not listen to anything, which was crazy bizarre to me. And I will tell you, you know, you'll get a three mile run in or a 30 minute workout in. Uh, when I'm done, I am feverishly trying to find notes, anything uh, to write ideas that came to me mm-hmm. because you're giving your mind, a, a, you know, a break and your imagination just takes over versus forcing information in it 24 seven. How true. And last question, the lightning round. What's the most important habit or routine or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Hmm. Don't know if I've been successful yet, but it is trying to, you know, wane off the the technology, Mm -hmm. uh, leaving the technology, you know, when we go to dinner in the glove box, just trying to, we have a rule that if it's a drive of 20 minutes or less, you know, my kids can't be on their phones. So we actually talk, you know, and we're, we're becoming more successful at it, but sometimes I, I, I'm guilty of it too. So it's really trying, again, I'm not anti-technology, love technology, but want to make sure that when we go out, we're having big talk conversations and uh, not, you know, being, you know, worried about likes and all those things. And it shows that you're continuing to refine it for yourself because even if you're not successful with it the first time you announce, hey, everyone, car rides under 20 minutes, all the phones stay off, you keep working at it because you know the payoff is so worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Try it. And I, I got a long way to go. So let's take one more look at businesses who are realizing that high tech is really an important part of everyone's life. And the pendulum needs to be brought back to high touch for relationships, essentially to come back into the relationship economy. What do people misunderstand about it? And what would you say are two or three things that every business owner ought to be thinking about or doing in order to embrace the relationship economy to make work more effective and a better place to be for everyone who is part of the company? I think, you know, the myth or or the mistake people are making is as they become more sophisticated with technology, they know that, you know, 
as generations get younger and, and become your customer, they want access to be able to go on your website and order it. They want to book an appointment on your website. They want to maybe ask a question via Twitter or Facebook Messenger or LinkedIn. And those are great. And when you start offering those channels, that that's great. You know, if you can manage it, offer those channels so you're where the customer wants you to be. But don't don't not allow. You know, don't make that the only channel now. Um, don't make that I can only schedule an appointment online. You know, you can't, I, I, I've never, you know, heard of that you can speak to an Uber representative. That's scary. That's scary, you know, and especially when you leave a, you know, something valuable in your car, or, you know, God forbid something, you know, bad happens in an experience. Electronic communication should not be the only way that you should communicate that. So I think it's while you're broadening, you know, you, you should also be able to don't don't eliminate the critical touch points that you can show empathy and compassion. It's hard to read empathy and compassion in a text or an email, but you can certainly hear it in a, a voice that Bill, oh, I am so sorry, we dropped the ball today. That is not the experience we ever want any of our customers to have. And, and here's what I'm gonna do to make it right. Right? You you can't articulate that close in a in an email or text or a chat or anything like that well don julius you've shared so many great ideas with us today on my quest for the best i just want to thank you for starting off and letting me know how important it was to have your mother believe in you even when it wasn't easy because that is such a theme that has really lasted throughout your professional life and personal life. I loved how you broke down the word encourage and got excited about the sense of being able to share with people that we can share courage and put courage into others in order to do the things that we need to do day in and day out. You really care about making relationships important, and yet you're one of the few people who aren't saying, throw at the technology. Let's do it together. Let's find the right balance. And there are certain lines that you're not willing to compromise on, and there are others where you say, you know what, so long as there's a relationship, then it might be okay to do, and you need to look at that carefully. You shared with us the rapid decline in personal skills, which I think so many people can relate to, and the importance of doing the things that bring it around in a business so that you're using technology to do the basics. You're creating a culture that supports that high touch experience and close relationship that can't be matched. And then you're creating relationships and teaching people through training on how to do that effectively. We talked about some example companies that everyone can look to and think about how they are companies that, you know, they're unmatched because people have in their minds that these are brands, whatever products they put out, these are brands that we can't live without. And it really makes a lot of people price insensitive. And that's an enviable model for all of our listeners who are business owners and business leaders. At your spa, you talked about some different training examples that were great. And the CEO of Schwab had a great example that I think people might consider a form of torture, but let's just call it a stressful part of the interview yeah. <laughs> where they agree in advance that the waiter will constantly flub up the order of the interviewee. For these reasons and so many more, John, you've you made this a great, great time to be sharing with us on My Quest for the Best. And I want to thank you so much. Damn, you nailed it, man. Yeah, I, I need that recap. Those are amazing notes. You were busy. Thank you, Bill. This was uh, truly uh, my honor to be uh, asked to be on your podcast, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. John, before we say goodbye, where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, the DeJuliusGroup.com. The DeJuliusGroup. Uh, DeJulius is with an I, D-I. 
J-U-L-I-U-S, thedejuliusgroup.com. And if you have any questions for me direct, um, it's john at thedejuliusgroup.com. Do you have a phone number you'd like to share? Uh, 216-839. Looking it up. I don't know her office line. I'm so bad. No problem. Know, there, there you go. Lack of technology. Um, I, I, I am so sorry. I forget her office because it's just on automatic dial. But, but hold on. I'll try to uh, get it really quick. I thought for sure this is something you'd want to have in there, even though we're going to put it in our show notes and make it really easy for people to find you. Yes, please. Because I, I know uh, 216-839-4850. Terrific. John DeJulius, author of The Relationship Economy. Once again, thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.